put your pencils down, we're going to have a quick anatomy lesson. Now, I'm from the school of thought that I don't really need to know how everything works to enjoy the benefits of it. I am perfectly happy eating my sandwich not knowing the play-by-play -play of what happens next, but I can also understand the need for someone to know. Happily, it's not me. So I will keep my descriptions to a minimum. But there is one man who was fascinated with the science project that was practically dropped in his lap. He needed to know more no matter the cost. Welcome, my name is Elizabeth Bougeret, and I'm that person that, when studying the many facets of history, likes to peek behind the curtain, investigate the hidden passages, drop into the rabbit hole, or dare to walk in the shadows, because we all know that's where the good stories can be found. Take a listen, then, to discover what dark or peculiar pieces of American history can be found this week from my bag of bones. In short, when we eat food for the nourishment of our body, or even what doesn't nourish, everything works together to get the job done. The saliva helps soften, our teeth break down the large pieces into smaller pieces. When we swallow, there's a flap called the epiglottis that protects you from food going into the windpipe instead of the esophagus. The esophagus is that long tube we call our throat, and Inside there are small muscles pushing and minimizing the food chunks even more. And then it drops into the stomach. There are strong muscles inside the stomach that then twist and push the food around while the gastric juices seep from the stomach's lining to help with the breakdown and kill bacteria that the food might have brought along that could cause harm to the body. Now, before you change the channel, this is Bag of Bones Podcast. No, I'm not moonlighting on another podcast. I wanted you to have some reference points before we dive in. This story is going to intersect the importance of science, no denying that the things that Dr. William Beaumont discovered about the digestion process has helped hundreds and thousands of people and the high cost of knowledge. This is not only the story of Dr. Beaumont, but of his living guinea pig, who we are about to meet, Alexi St. Martin that just happened to not only have a second chance at life, but be a pivotal part in the change of ideas of science, whether he wanted to or not. Our story actually begins in June of 1822, as Dr. Beaumont writes, quote, Indians and voyagers were returning to Mackinac with their results of their winter's catch. The little village had awakened from its long sleep, and the beach was again crowded with tents and wigwams and seething mass of strange humanity. End quote. On June 6th, some of the men were drinking and reveling in a local tavern when a gun accidentally went off. Quote, a young voyager dropped to the floor with a cavity in his upper left abdomen that would have admitted a man's fist. End quote. Gurdon S. Hubbard would be an eyewitness saying, quote, this St. Martin was at the time one of the American Fur Company's engagees, who, with quite a number of others, was in the store. One of the party was holding a shotgun, not a musket, which was accidentally discharged, the whole charge entering St. Martin's body. The muzzle was not over three feet from him, I think not over two. The wadding entered, as well as pieces of his clothing. His shirt took fire. He fell, as we supposed, dead. 
After Dr. Beaumont had extracted part of the shot, pieces of clothing, and dressed his wound carefully, Robert Stewart and others assisting, he left him remarking, The man can't live thirty-six hours. I will come to see him by and by. In two or three hours he visited him again, expressing surprise at finding him doing better than he anticipated. The next day, I think, he is resolved on a course of treatment and brought down his instruments, getting out more shot and clothing, cutting off ragged ends of the wound, and made frequent visits, seeming very much interested, informing Mr. Stewart in my presence that he thought he could save him. End quote. When our young voyager was well enough, he was moved to the hospital at the fort. The wound was able to be examined further, and at this point, Dr. Beaumont was merely trying to get him stitched up as best as he could and back out to his people again. He would note that the fifth rib was fractured and the sixth was partially blown off. The opening of the wound was roughly the size of a man's palm. The left lung was partially ruptured and the stomach had a gaping hole that allowed his breakfast to spill out onto his clothing. The, quote, clothing and flesh around the wound were burned to a crisp, end quote. Dr. William Beaumont would write, quote, After taking away the fragments of the rib, old flannel, wad, and the principal charge of shot, all driven together under the skin and into the muscles, and replacing the lungs and stomach as much as practicable, I applied to the wound the carbonated fermenting poultice, composed of flour, hot water, charcoal, and yeast, changing once every eight, ten, or twelve hours, according to the quicker or slower process of fermentation, keeping the parts around constantly bathed with a solution of murate of ammonia in spirits and vinegar, end quote. His patient showed signs of oncoming pneumonia, bringing on spasms of coughing and inflammation of the lungs, which wanted to protrude back out the opening. The good doctor opened a vein and gave the man a good bleeding, saying, quote, I took 12 or 14 ounces of blood from the arm, gave him a mild cathartic, the bleeding abated the action and gave relief. The cathartic had no effect, having escaped from the stomach through the wound. End quote. Every day, Beaumont would quote unquote, slough the wound, and eventually the lungs and stomach swelling retracted into a more comfortable position, allowing the internal actions of the stomach to be seen. He'd say, quote, large enough to admit my forefinger its whole length directly into the cavity of the stomach and a passage into the cavity of the thorax half as large as my fist, exposing to plain view the action of the left lobe of the lungs and admitting at every respiration full escape of air, bloody mucus, froth, etc. End quote. On most days, even though his patient seemed to be getting weaker, he was still fighting for his life. Beaumont would mention that St. Martin would be able to withstand the treatments without rolling about or sinking under. Every attempt at nourishment by mouth was failing, so they opted to administer, quote-unquote, mm, nutritious injections. He'd write in St. Martin's chart, quote, All that entered his stomach came out again at the wound for twelve or fifteen days, and the only means of sustaining him was by nutritious injection giving per anus, until all was sloughed and compresses and adhesive strap could be applied to stop the orifice in the stomach and retain the food and drinks. End quote.
I have been getting a few questions about offering suggestions. First of all, absolutely, yes. I love hearing your ideas of what you are curious about. I am such a research nerd and I love learning the new stories for episodes. Second, here are some parameters so you get an idea if it's a good fit for this podcast. The topic needs to be based in America. The event needed to happen in America or played out in America. If it's about a specific person, they can be born elsewhere or died elsewhere, but the majority of their life or their contribution to the story needs to be based in America. Next, it needs to be set in the time frame prior to 1969. Yes, sometimes if the story is so compelling or so requested, I'll slip over, but I like to keep it pre-1970. It has to be something within our bag of bones context. (laughs) For example, my mother keeps asking me to do an episode of Roy Rogers, but I can't because, well, his story is just so darn happy. Around here, we settle in with the dark and creepy, tragic and horrifying. Throw in some peculiar traditions and folklore, and essentially you have the Bag of Bones podcast playlist. And finally, it must be based in fact. I put a ton of hours in research for each and every episode to make sure that I am giving you the most honest and up-to-date information for each subject. So, if I can't find a lot of detail about something, or I can't substantiate it, then I won't be able to use it. Yes, folklore can fall into a cloudy section, but usually with this topic, enough people believe it, and there is a foundational source, like where the story began, that I can stem from. And that's it. I'll post these guidelines on both my website, elizabethbougeret.com, and at theragtagnetwork.com for easy reference. Now, before you start sending me hate mail defending Roy Rogers, I love Roy Rogers. I also love all the other topics and dates and countries. I listen to other podcasts that cover all the things that I do not. But I had to set parameters, otherwise the Bag of Bones podcast would have been all over the place and not stand out in any crowd. But now when someone asks, hey, do you know of a great history podcast? Or sure, there's a million true crime podcasts out, but what about the crime of the last century? Hopefully Bag of Bones podcast is on the tip of your tongue. Yes, your requests are most welcome. In fact, the first episodes of a new season will all be requested material. So hurry up and get yours in. I wanted to take a closer look into the character of Dr. William Beaumont. Understandably, if this same incident had been put in front of a different doctor, things might have gone very differently. Dr. Beaumont's main job, after all, was to get the men back into service, whether the voyagers or the soldiers that he was in the care of at the fort. But with further inspection, we discover a man that strives for perfection in all areas of his life. And since he is a healer and perfectionist, it seems he creates a theory where he feels he deserves the right to look down on others that do not attempt to attain a closer walk with virtue which you'll notice later, I'm sure. For example, he attempted what he calls a course in which he tested himself with quote-unquote daily examination in the areas he connected with virtue. In Jesse S. Meyer's book, Life and Letters of Dr. William Beaumont, he talks specifically about Beaumont's walk with perfection. 
Beaumont writes, quote, I included under thirteen names of virtues all that at the time occurred to me as necessary and desirable, annexed to each a short precept which fully expresses the extent I gave to its meaning, end quote. Such as temperance, he would write, quote, Eat not to dullness, drink not to elevation, end quote. This was his top virtue, believing it would be the foundation to all others. The second being silence, which he says perfection would be, quote, Speak not but what may benefit others or yourself, avoiding trifling conversations, end quote. The others that followed were order, resolution, frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, tranquility, chastity, and finally, humility. Be like Jesus and Socrates, says he. His plan was to line a journal with each of the virtues, and every time he violated one of them, he had to place a black dot in that square for the appropriate day. Quote, My intentions being to acquire the habitude of all these virtues, I judged it would not be well to distract my attention by attempting the whole at once, but to fix it on one of them at a time, and when I should be master of that, then to proceed to another, and so on until I should have gone through the whole thirteen. End quote. His goal, therefore, was to have a clean journal with no black marks. He writes, quote, Resolution, once becoming habitual, would keep me firm in my endeavor to obtain all the subsequent virtues, frugality and industry relieving me of my remaining debts, and producing affluence and independence would make me more easy than practice of sincerity and justice, etc. End quote. I did not find out if he succeeded in this endeavor. I was distracted by his new experiment. This was a man who was perhaps a closet scientist. He was content taking meticulous notes on all things to use them as reference later if need be. As every day he would go back to the hospital to find his patient still living, Dr. Beaumont's need to record and see how things played out were unavoidable. Many doctors would be content to have the patient survive, turn them loose, but <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. Beaumont was amazed every day that his unique patient would still be alive when he would come back to the hospital. He would continue to debrate the wound and the swelling would continue to reduce. Quote, and after three weeks, the appetite regular and healthy, evacuation became regular, and all the functions of the system seemed as regular and healthy as in perfect health, excepting the wounded parts. End quote. In short, to be able to eat anything by mouth, he would have to plug up the wound to encourage the food to go about its usual route. The wound's gaping opening refused to close and instead healed itself into the outer skin, making it a permanent opening. Beaumont would write, quote, To retain the food and drink as much as possible, I kept to the orifice a firm compress of lint fitted to the shape and size of the puncture and confined by straps, end quote. With the occasional cough or burp, the stomach might boop right out of the hole, and Dr. Beaumont would say he would just as easily, and without any distress to St. Martin, push the organ back inside the body. To be fair, the doctor tried his best to close the opening. The wound would continue to spit out wadding, bone fragments, and other debris that didn't get cleaned out before. The good news was the body was miraculously healing itself. 
The downside was that it would exit the body in stinky, pussy, painful abscesses. But to give his patient some release, he dosed him with diluted hydrochloric acid and wine. He had to stop trying to force the edges of the wound to meet and settle in with the fact that this wound was determined to stay open. At the seventh month mark, he would write, quote, His health daily improving, his spirits good, his appetite regular, his sleep refreshing, and all the functions of the system natural and healthy, end quote. By this time, the town and country of Mackinac had run out of charity for Alexei St. Martin and were ready to return him to his home in Canada more than 2,000 miles away. Dr. Beaumont came to his, quote-unquote, rescue and brought him into his own home, first as a patient and then as an employee. Quote, the county refusing any further assistance to the patient who has become a pauper from his misfortune I took him into my own family from mere motives of charity and a disposition to save his life, or at least to make him comfortable, where he has continued improving in health and condition and is now able to perform any kind of labor from whittling of a stick to the chopping of logs. He is as healthy, active, and strong as he ever was in his life or any man in Mackinac with an aperture of the stomach in much the same condition as it was last mentioned June 1st, 1824, end quote. Again, at this point, the doctor's motives seem to be led by charity, but eventually he realizes what an amazing opportunity has been literally dropped in front of him. He would notice the view early on in his notes, saying, quote, Digestion was as completely performed as in the most healthy person in the vicinity, and I could even see it go on every time I dressed the wound. End quote. But it wasn't until Alexei had moved into his home that he realized he was not taking advantage of a unique scientific opportunity. It was around this time that he hung up his doctor title and donned that of scientist. I would like to point out that at this point, Dr. Beaumont doesn't pursue the treatment of fame and glory or sees huge dollar signs, but he becomes almost blinded by his curiosity that it trumps all else. He writes, quote, This case affords an excellent opportunity for experimenting upon the gastric fluids and processes of digestion. It would give no pain nor cause the least uneasiness to extract a gill of fluid every two or three days, for it frequently flows out spontaneously in considerable quantities. Various kinds of digestible substances might be introduced into the stomach and then easily examined during the whole process of digestion. I may, therefore, be able hereafter to give some interesting experiments on these subjects. End quote. Finding himself almost a prisoner and a servant, Alexei had to submit to all kinds of these experiments that Dr. Beaumont was coming up with. Now, instead of allowing his healed and mostly healthy patient to return to his former duty, or at the very least return to his family, he would have to submit to having all manner of digestible and indigestible objects poked into the orifice in his stomach. He would be required to fast for hours, lie in certain positions for interminable periods, carry small bottles about in his armpits, and all this for the sake of science, in which he had not the slightest interest. Not only this, but 
the finger of curiosity was being pointed at him from every side as, quote-unquote, the man with a lid on his stomach. Quote, when he lies on the opposite side, I can look directly into the cavity of the stomach and almost see the process of digestion. I can pour in water with a funnel or put food in with a spoon and draw them out again with a siphon. I have frequently suspended flesh, raw and wasted, and other substances into the perforation to ascertain the length of time required to digest each, and at one time used a tent of raw beef instead of lint to stop the orifice, and found that it was less than five hours it was completely digested off, as smooth and even as if it had been cut with a knife." End quote. Dr. Beaumont would create several experiments where he would suspend various articles of food from a silk string which he would drop in and remove again at varying intervals to note the changes. He kept meticulous notes referring to the lengths of time for digestion of various foods. He collected vials and vials of gastric juices. He attempted experiments of digesting food in the vials to see if time and the digestion process outside of the body differed. He noted textures and times of day, internal temperatures and varying levels of mastication, the amount the bigger chunks were chewed down. It's been more than two years that Alexei has seen his family and is growing tired of being poked and prodded. In early 1825, Dr. Beaumont's notes would be published in the medical recorder for all the world to see. In July of 1825, Dr. Beaumont took his specimen on tour to be shown to all the most prominent scientists of the day. By this time, Dr. Beaumont has been transferred north to Fort Niagara, and while they were on their scientific tour, Alexei took leave. He escaped his life as a guinea pig, and even though Dr. Beaumont went through great efforts to find him, he had no luck. Hey everyone, it's Elizabeth Bougere here with Bag of Bones, and I have to tell you I am so excited to have Lumi deodorant as part of the Bag of Bones family. I aggressively campaigned to get Lumi on this podcast and my website, that's how much I love their products. They are all natural, and just because they're all natural doesn't mean they have to smell like dirt or baking powder. In fact, they don't even use baking powder. If you're tired of the store-bought brands that aren't doing their job and are ready to try something completely different in an assortment of scents, please give this a try. They have products for men and women, and they go far beyond just underarm deodorant. You have nothing to lose with their money-back guarantee, and when you use our direct link found in the show notes, you'll get free shipping on any order of $25 or more. Click the link in the show notes. Just give Lumi a try. Your friends and family will thank me later. With literally no empathy for his victim, uh, I mean, patient, Dr. Beaumont writes to the medical recorder lamenting his trouble, saying, quote, I regret very much that it is not in my power to offer more varied and satisfactory results, but unfortunately for me, he has absconded and gone to Canada at the very time I was commencing a number of more interesting and important experiments on the process of digestion and the power of gastric liqueurs, and I very much fear I shall not be able to recover possession of him again. He was unwilling to be experimented upon, though it caused him but little pain or distress, end quote. 
our scientist had to fall back into his boring and mundane doctorly duties once again. It's interesting to note that during Alexei's absence, Dr. Beaumont embraced the new experiments of vaccines. He was able to don his scientist hat and take his notes as he infected his soldiers with crusts of viruses to see what happened, and his notes indicated that he was very disappointed if nothing happened. This was around 1826. He kept his ear to the ground, never giving up on finding his walking-talking experiment, and one day, a letter arrived. It was from an employee of the American Fur Company, W. Matthews, who spotted Alexei St. Martin a little worse for wear. He writes, quote, While in Canada last winter, I succeeded in finding your ungrateful boy, Alexei St. Martin. He is poor and miserable beyond description, and his wound is worse than when he left you, end quote. He explains he did his best to convince him to return back to the doctor, and it even cost him $14 in the process, but was unable to succeed. But, with some encouragement and a repayment of the $14, Matthews agreed to try again. He reports back to Dr. Beaumont that St. Martin will come back to the doctor as long as he can bring his children, and he employs both himself and his wife. It would take another two years, but the voyager and his family were returned to the benefactor. Beaumont would write, quote, After considerable difficulty and at great expense to me, they succeeded in engaging him and transported him with his wife and two children to me at Fort Crawford, a distance of nearly 2,000 miles, in August of 1829. His stomach and side were in similar condition as when he left me in 1825. The aperture was open and his health good, end quote. And just like that, not only was he back in the good graces of the science world, but had two new servants as well. Dr. Beaumont wasted no time in conducting new experiments to decipher more mysteries of digestion, which, don't get me wrong, I think is of value to the scientific community, but it saddens me how he is unable to see this human experiment as much more than that. From December 1829 to April of 1831, he conducted his daily experiments, and when not in human guinea pig mode, was sent about doing chores of a manservant. He would observe, quote, During this time, in intervals of experimenting, he performed all the duties of a common servant, chopping wood, carrying burthens, etc., with little or no suffering or inconvenience from his wound. He labored constantly, became the father of more children, and enjoyed as good health and as much vigor as men in general. End quote. He narrowed his focus for much of this work in this time on internal temperatures, discovering that pretty much no matter what was happening in the atmosphere outside of the body, the inside of the stomach stayed around 100 degrees. He then switched his focus back to the gastric juices, discovering that the stomach produces these highly toxic liquids only when food is present and it has a job to do. He would document, quote, any digestible or irritating substances when applied to the internal coat excites the action of the gastric vessels, end quote. Allow me to share an excerpt from trial number 24. I hope that you're not eating at the moment. Quote, December 14th, 1829. At 1 o'clock p.m., I took one and a half ounces of gastric juice 
fresh from the stomach, after 18 hours fasting into an open-mouthed vial, I put into it 12 drams recently salted beef, boiled, and placed it in a basin of water on a band bath and kept it around 100 degrees Fahrenheit with frequent gentle agitation. Digestion commenced in short time on the surface of the meat and progressed in that manner uniformly for about six hours, when its solvent action seemed to cease. The meat was at this time nearly half dissolved. The texture of the central portion considerably loosened and tender, resembling the same kind of ailment when ejected, partially digested from the stomach hours after being swallowed, as frequently seen in cases of indigestion. The vial continuing in the same situation, its contents varied considerable in their sensible qualities in 24 hours. The digested portion separated into a reddish-brown precipitate and whey-colored fluid. I now separated the undigested from the chymus portion by filtration through thin muslin. When squeezed dry, it weighed 5 drams, 2 scruples, and 8 grains, which, deducted from the 12 drams of meat put in it first, leaves 6 drams and 12 grains digested in 12 fluid drams of gastric juice. This experiment was conducted with as much precision and integrity of observation as possible, with the temperature of the digesting bath kept as near blood heat as was practical to regulate and continue artificial warmth, the thermometer varying during the time from 90 degrees to 100 degrees, end quote. Side note, a dram, if you were curious, is about one-eighth of an ounce. Now, that is some carefully documented experimentations. It would go on to test lengths of time, variations of temperatures, types of meat, meats with other types of food, the coagulation of milk when introduced to the stomach acid. He found that, quote, vegetables are less easily disposed of by the gastric organ than other animal or farinaceous substances, end quote. Side note, farinaceous is just their fancy word for food-containing starches, which are usually grains and breads and whatnot. Furthering and deepening his experiments, he noticed that while digestion of meat in the actual stomach was slow, taking about four hours, it was slower still in the vials. This is when he noted the connection of the stomach muscles and their involvement with breaking down the food, and in his snarky way even added the host's temperament to his discoveries and recordings, never failing to add that the digestion process was clearly influenced by anger or impatience. After 56 different experiments, Alexei St. Martin requested a leave of absence for himself and his family to return to Canada. With a heavy heart but trusting soul, he allowed his leave. Quote, I relinquished his engagements to me for the time on a promise that he would return when required, and gave him an outfit for himself, wife, and children. They started in an open canoe, and they arrived in June. End quote. Dr. William Beaumont, in the meantime, began sharing his experiments and results to the medical and scientific communities and was widely received. It was decided that he would take a sojourn to Europe to discuss and display his human experiment. And, to his credit, when requested, Alexei St. Martin returned to America from Canada with the intent to travel to Europe. Before leaving, Dr. Beaumont required Alexei to sign a contract. and. 
To save you the pages and pages of legalese, allow me to condense for you. I, Alexi St. Martin, do hereby allow and will not object to anything Dr. William Beaumont asks of me in terms of servanthood, experimentation, and exhibition. And if Mr. St. Martin does so perform, suffer, and exhibit, and is conforming in all ways, Dr. William Beaumont shall provide food, clothing, and suitable lodging. And if thou continues on a journey without grumbling, there will also be included the total sum of $150, $40 to be paid after the signing of the document, and the total sum will be paid following personal application to said William Beaumont at the expiration of one year's term. Sign here. Before they even set foot on a boat for Europe, their presence was requested in Washington, D.C. Here, for much of this allotted army furlough, they would conduct more experiments with all the most prominent men in scientific and medical industries. Beaumont was in awe of the celebrities and minds he now found himself surrounded by and was regularly reaffirmed by his peers for his excellent and meticulous work. Contract or no contract, Alexei was not happy with this new life of being poked and prodded by several pompous humans, and not just one. He continued to complain and became agitated when they were attempting time-consuming experiments and was constantly asking for more than what was agreed to in the lengthy contract. Side note, Alexei St. Martin did not speak English, and Beaumont did not speak French. So St. Martin, who did sign the contract with a firm X, probably had no idea what he was signing. A quote-unquote job was found for St. Martin as a sergeant in, quote, a detachment of orderlies, so the army could reduce the financial burden on Beaumont a bit, allowing St. Martin to receive $12 per month plus an additional $2.50 for clothing and $0.10 per day for subsistence. This caused him to sign a contract with the U.S. government for five years. Also, side note, as a bonus discovery, the men of science were able to determine the effects of alcohol on the digestive process. As Beaumont would call him, my Frenchman, was prone to excessive drinking. But not to waste the opportunity for knowledge, it was built into the study. Would you like to know what they saw? I mean, literally? Quote, when there are indications of disease on the coats of the stomach and on the tongue, digestion is consequently protracted. The diseased appearance of the stomach at this examination was probably the effect of intoxication the day before. End quote. In short, when too much alcohol interferes with the introduction of food, barfing shall follow. And since this human guinea pig liked to imbibe so much, Beaumont created new experiments to include it. For example, was it his body that was craving it, or did his body benefit from the fermented mash? He tried pouring it directly into the stomach cavity and discovering it was not well accepted, and gave the body no nutritional value. From here, he tried by mouth and was surprised to see that the stomach reacted to the anticipation of what Alexi thought was going to be something wonderful which actually led to the discovery that craving our favorite food or drink excites the body into action. He writes, quote, The sense of taste is very essential to the proper digestion, end quote. And you thought this episode would be boring. 
By March of 1833, 116 more experiments had been conducted. Dr. Beaumont, who actually earned his living as an army surgeon, in case I forgot to mention, soon discovered his six-month furlough had since expired and he was expected to return back to New York to tend to his real job. And since Alexei was also in the military, strings were pulled, pardon the pun, to have his duty moved so he could go wherever Dr. Beaumont would be stationed. During this time, Alexei had not seen his family and one of his children passed away. He was allowed to go home to his family for a brief time and was then expected to report back, which he did, which Dr. Beaumont took to assume that St. Martin was pleased with his contributions to science. Quote, his family being sick and one of his children having died while we were in Plattsburgh, and he became anxious to see them. I yielded to his solicitude and suffered him to go and take care of his surviving ones, and he stayed longer than I expected, but has now come back again and is in Plattsburgh with my family, where I hope soon to be again putting in and taking out those little bags of food and complete the last series of experiments. I shall engage him again for three or five years if he will agree, of which I expect there is no doubt." End quote. On March 6, 1833, the Columbian College of Washington, D.C. bestowed an honorary degree of Doctor of Medicine. He responds in part in a letter, quote, Permit me respectfully to communicate through you my sentiments of high consideration and sincere thankfulness to the professors and gentlemen of the college for the respect shown to me by the proceedings of that institution, and that the assurance of my best efforts to make proper returns for the proffered honors. End quote. With these new feathers in his proverbial cap, he decided he was going to publish a book, which he did, and thanks to his new highly positioned friends in colleges and politics, they poured out rave reviews and passed along his book ordering information far and wide. A successful life, most would think, clout among his peers in the medical and scientific communities, Awards, honorary degrees and favor, a published author, groundbreaking research under his belt, and yet he felt he deserved more. Hey everyone, it's Elizabeth Bougere with Bag of Bones. I just need to interrupt this episode for just a quick second to make a sincere request. I've discovered that the best way to help a podcast to grow is, firstly, by word of mouth. If you are enjoying the Bag of Bones content, be sure to tell your friends about it. And then secondly, is through our reviews. Same concept, you're telling others how much you enjoy listening to the podcast, but you're reaching people that you don't even know. And with every new rating and review, the podcast platforms will then share Bag of Bones with other possible listeners. So again, if you enjoy Bag of Bones content, please share your views with others by leaving a five-star rating and review that will entice others to give us a try. Thank you so much to those who have already done this, and thank you to those who are about to. Okay, okay, my time is up. Back to the show. Thank you! Beaumont would later lament on how difficult his life had been over the course of more than 10 years preoccupied with this study because of his obstinate patient. Even though he went on this discovery adventure on his own choosing and could have stopped at any moment and be content being the brilliant doctor many already believed that he was, but he went so far as 
to believe that he was owed for his brilliant study and research. So much so, he wrote a letter to the powers that be in Congress, telling him of all of his hardships and the cost he put forth for more than a decade. He told them of his financial strain for nursing St. Martin back to health while living on the salary of an army surgeon, and what's more, on the far-reaching corners of the north and west surrounded by attacking Indians. Then there was the expense of taking St. Martin here and there so others could witness the science for themselves. And then there was the expense of caring for the wife and children of St. Martin. And every place he traveled to, he had to incur the expense of the experiments. He had faithfully written down all of his findings. He explained the value of his own research and why over 300 experiments were necessary. And even with all of this extra work, he explains that he did his duty as surgeon for the U.S. Army without receiving extra pay. Quote, These experimental services were wholly extra, unofficial, and voluntarily performed, and not even required of him either by common usage or the regulation of the Army, but were executed in obedience to the dictates of humanity, a desire to benefit community, promote the blessings of health, and perpetuate the signal advantages of this extraordinary case and opportunity for improvement, end quote. And finally, after pages and pages of listing his various costs, the heart of the matter comes to the surface. He humbly requests and feels he is, quote, justly entitled to a fair remuneration for those extra services and believing them useful and important to the interests of the medical profession, the science of health, and particularly to the Army and Navy, end quote. His first request was for back pay of, quote, an extra allowance of $1.25 per diem, the compensation usually allowed to officers of the Army when performing extra duties for the time he has actually been engaged in professionally attending and restoring St. Martin to health, and in making said experiments and observations, end quote. And, yes, he is referring to himself in the third person. And, yes, again, the Army did not assign him this extra work. The total came up to just under $4,000, a pretty penny back in the day. He gave his great solicitation to the people of the government and prayed for the best. There were many believed he should be paid back for his expenses, so valuable was the information and so precise was its documentation. Members of both the medical profession and the House of Representatives submitted in part, quote, It would seem to be the part of wise legislation to encourage the continuance of these experiments with prospective views of benefit to the interests of science and humanity, end quote. Because, side note, if this went through, it would mean a whole new world of opportunity for the future of research. The Honorable Edward Everett would add, beefing up the request for compensation to $10,000. Quote, The doctor has done this at great pecuniary sacrifice. He has done it from an unsophisticated spirit of scientific curiosity. There is but one feeling in the medical world toward him a feeling of respect and gratitude for his excellent work, end quote. The 23rd Congress Journal would read, quote, The House then proceeded to consideration of Bill 246, making appropriations for support of Army of 1834, 
The amendments were read and severally put, concurred in by the House. The ayes and nays were called for and taken, and on the question it was decided in the negative, 56 to 129. The defeat of the amendment is said to have been due to the, quote, theoretical objection to the appropriation by Congress of money for any scientific or philanthropic purposes, whatever, end quote. The Washington Evening Star wasted no time defending the final decision, printing, quote, Dear Sir, I perceive by the papers that a provision has been slipped into military appropriation bill making a certain compensation to Dr. Beaumont. For what? It appears that the doctor undertook to cure a man who had received a wound in his side. He did not heal the wound. An aperture thus remained, by which an inspection could be had of the stomach, and of the operation of the gastric juice on various articles of food. He noticed this operation and has stated the result. Does this display such science and genius as to entitle the doctor to a national remuneration? and that, too, by a special act of Congress? He is already paid for his medical services as a surgeon in the Army, and the law of a copyright secures him any further compensation which the public may think his published discoveries are entitled to. End quote. And not once in his lamenting did he mention the losses, financial and otherwise, of his constant companion, which, in Beaumont's mind, was probably too lofty a title, as he never really looked at him as a friend or an equal, barely human. He was a specimen. And over the course of a full twelve years, Alexei St. Martin gave up gallons and gallons of gastric fluid so it could be shipped to scientific endeavors across the globe. And for reference of how Beaumont felt of his human, he would also add a note in the letter that accompanied the samples that were delivered. Quote, P.S. The man will continue with me should more of the fluid be required to complete the investigation of your analysis. It will be rapidly transmitted upon the earliest indication from you. End quote. In one of his experiments, Beaumont, which we talked about earlier, was dissolving some foodstuffs in one of the many vials of the man's stomach fluids. So, for comparison, he left the vials poking out of the side of his body to keep the internal temperature of the stomach, dissolving the food in the vial. I mention that because the man's life was not his own. He was on call to the doctor at all times, and if he wasn't being stared at while eating or drinking, he was working for the doctor. And let's not forget the time when the government picked up the tab for St. Martin's care by giving him a fake job with a fake title. Beaumont forgot to mention that part in his plea for compensation. Following the outcome, Dr. Beaumont refused to be discouraged and instead decided that even more experiments must be the answer. The Army thought he should be transferred to Jefferson Barracks just outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Meanwhile, one of his chemist buddies sent him a letter saying that he exhausted his supply of stomach juice and needs more sent right away. However, Alexei St. Martin went back to Canada while Beaumont sorted out all of his money issues, more than a little peeved that he would not be receiving any of the possible windfall. Beaumont wrote to and expected him to show up in time to travel with him to Missouri, but as he writes to his surgeon friends, quote, 
A vexatious disappointment and an unexpected detention at Plattsburgh awaiting Sergeant St. Martin's return to me at that place prevented my arrival here several weeks sooner, and now I have the mortification to report him absent without leave. Sanguinely expecting to meet Alexei there in readiness to go with me and remain with me, but instead of his having returned as promised, I could hear nothing from him and was left in the predicament of 1825. I wrote to him and urged his immediate return, waited 10 or 15 days longer than I otherwise should have done, and learning nothing from him was obliged to come on without him. This placed me in an utmost unpleasant and vexatious predicament. Not to regain control of or leave him behind seemed like abandoning an important object and sacrificing almost all that had been done. I have taken no notice of his communication, nor shall I make any demonstrations to get him again till I return in the fall, by which time he will have spent all the money I advanced to him to provide for his family. He will become miserably poor and wretched and be willing to recant his villainous obstinacy and ugliness, and then I shall be able to regain possession of him again, I have no doubt. End quote. But Alexei St. Martin did not come. They went back and forth trying to be the one in control, Beaumont not wanting to send any more money, St. Martin not wanting to come without his family, and more money would be nice. They both held their ground, and both lost. Eventually, Dr. Beaumont got a little too big for his britches. He had gotten so used to being able to move about within the army, as he liked for so long, when new management took over and decided Beaumont needed to adhere to the same rules as everyone else, Beaumont huffed as if he had sway in the military. The military, as a lesson, decided to unplug him from his current world of convenience and send him off to Florida. Here he attempted to stand off as he did with St. Martin and declared he would resign from the army if they did not allow him to stay in Missouri. They accepted his resignation. Beaumont was not shy in sharing his feelings on the matter. Quote, the absurd opinion, contracted views, narrow-minded, vindictive spirit, and petty, tyrannical disposition of the weak, waspish, and willful head of the medical department. I have the pride and privilege of detesting the man, the motives and mind for which such egregious folly, parsimony, and injustice could emanate and be promulgated. Quote. Those words! What a beautiful collection of vocabulary that shared his thoughts that is long out of use today. You have to admit, this is probably the most impressive F.U. you've heard in maybe ever. Beaumont threw such a stink about them not reinstating him that in 1839, they in turn terminated him. His 20-plus years of service all but wiped clean. In March of 1839, he entered the private sector and enjoyed the profitable business of a private practice. He joined forces with Dr. Sykes, but it only lasted a couple years before they not only dissolved their partnership, saying, quote, Dr. Sykes, thinking it for his special interest and popularity, perhaps, chose to avail himself of a treacherous memory or perverted conscience, and my disadvantage of a verbal agreement without a third personal proof, to deny the contract, forfeit all confidence, sacrifice his integrity, and commence legal and vexatious prosecutions to obtain from me what is not his due, and for which he has not the shadow of a just claim. End quote. 
Somewhere it should read, does not play well with others. But he was a respected member of the medical community and found his way to the board of the St. Louis Medical Society, the National Institute for the Advancement of Science, and even a member of the Horticulture Society. Dr. Beaumont would continue to pursue his former lab human and would not give up hope that he would lure Alexi to him. It had been some time since they had been together, and Dr. Beaumont would scold himself for allowing the gap to happen, promising that he would work twice as diligently if he had another chance. His final offer to Alexi would raise the stakes to $300 for himself and an additional $200 for the care of his family if he would leave them behind in Canada and come alone. He would write, quote, I think he will take the bait and come on this fall, and when I get him alone again into my keeping an engagement, I will take good care to control him as I please, end quote. Well, he did not take the bait, and Dr. Beaumont never heard from Alexi again. Beaumont's studies, as far as he was concerned, must never be completed. In March of 1853, the good doctor was on his way home from a house call when he slipped on a sheet of ice. Falling backward, he hit his head and then wandered aimlessly until a friend discovered him and helped him to get home. He knew this fall and head injury would be the cause of his fate, and he set about settling his affairs. He would die on April 25th. He would be buried in the beautiful and haunted Bellefontaine Cemetery in St. Louis, Missouri, and very few who were to pass his grave would know of his contribution and dedication to the medical sciences of the stomach. At the cost of another man's servitude, but valuable information all the same. Alexei St. Martin would live another 28 years after the death of Beaumont. He would not be the subject of experimentation again, but was lured to various schools for observation for pay. St. Martin would write to Dr. Beaumont's son, Israel, begging for money. He had moved his family, his wife, four grown children, and their spouses to Vermont, and were exceedingly poor for the rest of their days. Alexei would die on June 24, 1880. His family did not report his death for several days, allowing the body to begin decomposing, hoping this would deter doctors from wanting to do an autopsy. His body was so badly rotted at the time of burial, it would not be admitted into the Catholic Church for his service and required them to held services out of doors. And then the family insisted on an additional two feet depth to his grave to prevent grave robbers. He was 83 years old. This work of Dr. Beaumont and his sometimes disgruntled patient has changed what science has known about the function of the stomach at that time. If it were not for the collective minds and the additional experiments done with chemical breakdowns and muscle theory, these evidences would have most likely been laughed away for several more decades. And thus brings us to the closure, pardon the pun, of another Fun with Science episode. I hope I didn't disrupt your lunch. I'm Elizabeth Bougeret. Until next time. Bag of Bones is created and hosted by Elizabeth Bougeret, produced by the Ragtag Network and History Revisited, music by Johnny Reed. To learn more about the show, visit elizabethbougeret.com. For more podcasts from the Ragtag Network, visit their website at www.bougeret.com. 
ragtagnetwork.com. Copyrights by Elizabeth Bougeret and DCT Enterprises.